Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 3 That Very First Hint of Blush Part 1 Aziraphale wakes up on Saturday morning, his first official day on duty in wine country, and every single goddamned bone in his body yells at him and tells him to just roll over. It's actually fair. He and Warlock had finished both of the bottles Tracy had set out for them, and then, under some fairly compromised judgment, they'd opened a third bottle, some ridiculous name scrawled across it in a script like a snake, from the small but solid collection Tracy had apparently put aside for them as a starter pack. Shame he couldn't remember it, since he'd spent the evening attempting to light the fireplace without smoking the two of them out, while Warlock mocked him and peeled all the labels of the bottles. Any evidence they might have had was burned at this point. Aziraphale has faith they'll come across it again, though, because Tracy and Chatwell seem to have decent taste, and any white that has as much flavour as he thought he remembered would eventually come back across his path. He's absolutely sure of it. The late night plus the flight, the stress of the travel, the worry Aziraphale always carries with him... Today is, quite distinctly, what Warlock would call a no. Either way, the master bed has been made up with some ridiculous thread count of a cotton silk blend that's absolutely stroking at his skin, and the April chill is evident in the air, and Aziraphale lets his eyes roll back into his head as he tucks the comforter back over his shoulder and lets his head fall into the pillow again. A few hours later, probably, Aziraphale hasn't exactly kept track of his watch, he's hit with the scent of coffee, the aftertaste of tea in the air and the bumbling noises of Warlock singing to himself while attempting to make breakfast. After a moment, Aziraphale also picks up on the scent of burnt toast, the sizzle of what's probably eggs, a delicate hint of something sweet. Look, all of his senses have been finely trained in the art of culinary detection. It's his job. And while neither of them will ever make Top Chef, at least Warlock's the better cook out of the two of them. Aziraphale rolls himself out of his luscious bed and pours through his luggage to find his bathrobe, which he tucks neatly over his pyjamas. He and Warlock have done plenty of these trips together, and one of the ways they manage to continue to not murder each other is by adhering to strict standards of propriety to avoid any sort of awkwardness. Warlock's in plaid flannel pyjama pants and a tee with one of his superhero logos on it, Aziraphale can't tell them apart, and bare feet, 
his hair a mess. It's quite adorable, although Aziraphale knows if he says anything of the sort, Warlock will spit in his tea while laughing. Instead, Aziraphale mumbles some kind of good morning and beelines for the mug he sees Warlock has set aside by the stovetop. Good morning yourself. Warlock chuckles at him and gestures towards the table, where he's mangled a couple of oranges open and displayed a couple of decent pieces of toast with butter and jam beside. Aziraphale nearly constantly wonders at how lucky he's been hiring Warlock Dowling. There aren't a lot of young gents who would be willing to make their entire career the nearly full-time care of a doddering old man who can barely work his own mobile and drinks far more than necessary for a living. Warlock isn't with Aziraphale daily when they're in LA, but he's certainly dealing with Aziraphale's business daily. And then there are times like this, trips Aziraphale takes for his own budding career, and here's Warlock giving up six months of his own life in Los Angeles to bum around wine country with the author of A Taste of Heaven. Who does that? But Warlock seems content in his quiet, sarcastic way. Aziraphale knows his home life isn't anything Warlock misses, and what social life he has in LA seems to revolve as much around his mobile device as anything in person. Warlock, though at times they're deeper into the wine than strictly required by the job, seems grateful to not have to deal with a corporation or a hierarchy or, worse, the government. Warlock's happy, it seems, to spend his time managing Aziraphale's affairs with all the freedom and opportunity Azfeld's career provides. Bless him. Someone out there is looking out for Aziraphale. He never would have made it onto FTA's radar without Warlock's lovely guidance and rather ruthless negotiation skills. Look says Warlock, interrupting Aziraphale's train of thought. Fried eggs? This one should even be runny, like you like it. He tilts the pan, flopping two misshapen but well-cooked eggs onto Aziraphale's toasties. Are you expecting a race? Aziraphale teases, even as he pokes at the yolks. He prefers his eggs with the whites cooked, but the yolk absolutely as runny as possible. These seem legitimate. Better than Warlock's standard fare, he wonders how many burnt ones Warlock has thrown into the trash. Warlock snorts. <laughs> Are you joking? If this book does as well as it's projected to be, I'm demanding a raise. No, fuck that. I'm giving myself a raise. If the book does that well, I'll be expected to do another one. <laughs> Aziraphale says with a sigh. I'll double your raise to make sure you don't abandon me. Note to self, 
Warlock says, talking into his Fitbit in that joking manner he has as if he's making recordings. On this day, Saturday, April, fuck, what day is it? Whatever, Aziraphala's promise to double Marais. Hold out for a triple or bust. Sit down and eat. You're making me hungry just looking at you. Aziraphale finds a knife and fork amongst the mangled segments of orange and digs into his eggs. Yes, there's plenty of yolk to dip his buttered toast into. He piles a bit of the eggs on top of the toast and takes a bite. Rich. Savory. Simple. Is there anything better? So... Warlock says, collapsing into a pile of limbs next to Aziraphale. While you got Gabriel's welcome note, I got a list of suggestions from Michael for your first week or two out here. Wanna hear? Of course, Aziraphale says, stifling another sigh. He realizes he is here entirely on someone else's dime and dollar, absolutely at their service, performing a function of his current career, but a part of him misses his old days, where he could stray out from under the watchdog for a bit, find some old places tucked into the shady corners and abandoned hills. What do we have? Warlock pulls his mobile out and starts flipping through it with his left hand, steadily shoveling his eggs, scrambled with what looks like an excess of cheese, into his mouth. Well, she recommends we start at Kendall Jackson. Oh, good lord, Aziraphale murmurs. He absolutely hates reviewing the larger industry standard wines. They are what they are. Good wines at a decent price, accessible for the common individual who just wants something that tastes relatively friendly. Aziraphale came to wine tasting for the nuance. The hints of flavour around the grape, the shadows of aroma, the textures of the mouthfeel. He's here for the unusual, the stunning, the superb. Any old wine blogger can review a mass-produced wine just as well as he can. A part of him, snobbish and high English, finds it beneath him, really, which he knows is incredibly rude, but he wasn't born perfect. I am not having my first tasting at a winery whose work I can find in the local grocery, Aziraphale tells Warlock. Fuck off, Warlock says cheerfully, still paging through his phone. All right, she has a couple of other recommendations beneath that. Two categories, big places that readers will expect you to review and little places that have gotten big reviews by other wine critics that she wants your opinion on. He pauses, still scrolling. And most of them also have food. His tone turns upwards, obviously teasing. Michael certainly knows how to get you interested.
Aziraphale rolls his eyes into the sky. Does Kendall Jackson have a restaurant then? Warlock's grin turns victorious. It turns out that the Kendall Jackson wine estate and gardens are quite lovely, if a bit bland isn't the word, maybe expectable is a better one. The gardens, of course, are only just starting to venture into the air, but Aziraphale can picture it being quite lovely come summer, all tall varietals and humming bees. They spend some time walking around, and Warlock snaps a good number of photos that he'll later add to whatever blog post Aziraphale comes up with. Aziraphale occasionally takes his own photos, but he prefers to post them with minimal text, for the effect. That's another of Warlock's responsibilities as Aziraphale's first editor. He continues to duck out of most of the photos, though. It isn't like the blog doesn't have a professionally done portray of AZFL, well-renowned wine and food critic, right up there, but... Aziraphale likes what anonymity he can gather. Too many photos of himself, and people will start to recognize him. He takes comfort in knowing that the portrait on the blog had been arranged by Gabriel, who had put Aziraphale in a black suit with a starched white shirt and a particularly trendy tie, none of which is his personal preference. So far, he's been able to go most places in his comfortable waistcoats and sweater vests, and only a rare few have been able to match his actual face with that overly suave headshot. Warlock captures a good one of him from behind, though, which Aziraphale decides he'll allow. It's over his shoulder, so all you can see are his pale blonde curls and the crest of his coat over his shoulder, and then the vineyards beyond. It's actually quite lovely, and Gabriel will at least be happy that he's let himself be captured in something readers will see. The samples here are quite lovely. Aziraphale writes into his notebook once they're managing their tastings. I'm surprised by the freshness. It's all double entendre, things no one but he will know are there, in between the spaces of his words. Wines are quite accessible. The reserves, of course, bring additional flavour to bear. I quite like the Chardonnay Grand Reserve. Big notes of fruit, almost tropical, with the aroma of honey overlaid atop something that's almost mango. Very unique. Warlock peeks into his book as he's writing, and Aziraphale murmurs, Too bland to be a real Chardonnay, but I'm going to reword that. And Warlock laughs so hard he snorts his Merlot. The Grand Reserve dessert wine is one to be bargained with. Aziraphale adds, after he and Warlock have tasted nearly 12 different wines, 
plus a glass of the one Pinot Noir that carried a distinctly different flavor profile, because he's feeling pleasantly tipsy and a little sassy. A blend of six different varietals, it packs a sweet punch to your throat with flavors that start by dressing up vanilla and cream, take a naughty walk through red berries, and end up sinking down into the bed of espresso, black pepper and leather. Absolutely worth the cost. Warlock, when he reads that, laughs so hard he has to put his head down on the bar, and Aziraphale signals to purchase a bottle of the Grand Reserve dessert wine to take home. Aziraphale elects to spend the evening in the lovely library, putting together his first two articles. Warlock heads out for a bit, citing research, but Aziraphale's fairly certain he just wants to drive that ridiculous behemoth of a car at monstrously high speeds, and leaves him to it. He has a glass of Sauvignon Blanc he found in the refrigerator that's got luscious notes of citrus and lavender, he has a plate full of little nibbles, and his trusty, idiot-proof tablet ready to go. He pulls out his notebook, flips through the few pages of notes he has, and starts the blog post about his travels that will officially launch this ridiculous endeavor. Most of the wineries have limited hours on Sundays, so Aziraphale and Warlock only make one stop the next day. It's a tidy little place called Elise, and exactly the thing Aziraphale was hoping to find. There's no food, but every single red he tastes there is divine, and they spend an incredibly long afternoon sampling increasingly expensive bottles from years prior. Aziraphale's especially interested in the Napa and Sonoma Golden Years, 2012 through 2014, and the young man behind the counter recognizing talent, if not the name, is more than happy to continue to open 60, 70 or 100 dollar bottles of Zinfandel and Cabernet for Aziraphale to sample. Aziraphale has four neatly written pages of notes on these and a selection of three bottles to take home with them. Warlock has the young man's phone number. This happens more often than Warlock cares to admit. He may work for a doddering old man, but Aziraphale has come to the conclusion that Warlock is what the young people might call a catch. All in all, that's a pleasant afternoon indeed. Warlock takes him down towards the town of Santa Rosa, where he had spotted signs for a farmer's market. They pick up a variety of cheeses, and Aziraphale has himself a pleasant night pairing up a Pinot Noir from Elise with each of them, taking notes for a future blog post, while Warlock watches something on his laptop and laughs at Aziraphale. 
Monday's a bit disappointing. Uriel sends his first post back to Warlock with a list of SEOs she wants him to add, and they have a mostly friendly argument over how they're going to insert all of these buzzwords to Aziraphale's tight, friendly prose. They're the ones who want me to write a book, Aziraphale scoffs at some point, bent over his tablet. They can't tell me to change my writing now. Warlock rubs at his forehead with his fingers and sighs. That isn't... He starts and then sets his own laptop down. Come on, let's take a break. Get some lunch and a visit in. We'll figure all this out later. There's a place on Michael's list. Looks like a little hole in the wall. Could be good. Except that Cormac's winery is not good. At all. Hole in the wall is fairly accurate. It looks like an old concrete storage building turned into someone's garage, turned into a tasting bar with cheesy picnic tables and the atmosphere of a truck rest stop. Aziraphale tries not to judge. Not everyone is into the aesthetics of wine tasting, but all of the wines are either watery or too sweet, which is absolutely not to his liking at all. When Warlock orders them a pizza at the counter, trying to console Aziraphale, the grumpy old man takes something out of plastic from the freezer and puts it in the microwave, and that's it. Aziraphale thanks him kindly and goes to wait in the car while poor Warlock pays. Right, Warlock says as he climbs into the driver's seat. Okay. He starts the car and they sit in silence for a moment. Warlock fiddles with the ridiculous ambient lighting, making it first peach, then a deep blue. Then he starts scrolling through his phone, ostensibly for ideas, while Aziraphale breathes through his nose and tries to calm his irritation. He gets these moods, really, where he just feels like tensing his fingers into claws and yelling some particularly inappropriate words at the sky. His writing should be his. Except that it isn't anymore, it's FTAs, and he has to put all these phrases into the sentences of a normal person who just wants to ramble on about camembert and cabernet. It doesn't make sense to take his anger out on Cormacs. Surely there are people who must like that wine, since the place is still in business, and he shouldn't insult things that are just not to his taste at all. Here, Warlock says, and throws the car into gear. Remember that soft blanc we had the first night you were in rapture over? We'll go there. They'll have at least one thing you'll like, and there's an actual cafe. Aziraphale is appeased and reaches over to squeeze Warlock's shoulder as a quick thank you.
The place is called Ecstasies, and the interior is somehow both stark and lovely. Stone on the walls, pale shale moving into the deep grey of something he doesn't have a name for, all different sizes. It gives the feeling of a riverbed, in a way. The bar is rich, dark wood, with comfortable stools that he and Warlock settle into. The young lady behind the bar gives them a delighted smile. There are a few other customers, but there's another young man working with them. Welcome to Ecstasies, she says, immediately coming over to lean on the tasting bar. I'm Anathema, and I'll be your guide today. Tour guide? How utterly charming. My name is Aziraphale, and this here is Warlock, he says, giving her a warm smile in return. We're here to explore, but first, I don't suppose you have a menu on you, do you? Anathema reaches beneath the bar top and pulls out a handful of papers. Here's this week's menu. Here are the wines we have open today, and here are our tasting options. Oh, and if he pops something else open, we write it up. She gestures at a side wall where there's a large chalkboard titled Today's Specials. Azira felt relaxing already. Oh, this looks lovely. What's your soup of the day? Potato. Anathema gives him a long look, then glances over at Warlock, then back to Aziraphale. I think you'd like it, she says, entirely confident in that. An interesting take, but one Aziraphale is happy to oblige. Do you perhaps have something bold in a white to pair with that potato soup? Anathema slides the papers around until the list of wines is on the top and taps a blue fingernail against a certain space and then pauses. Are you a serious aficionado or a casual partaker? We deal with all kinds, mind you, but it's the difference between the $8 glass and the $17 one that I'd personally recommend. Well, Warlock says with a grin... I'm not sure there's anyone more serious about pairing wine and soup as this guy. Aziraphale sniffs. I'm a professional, he corrects Warlock. Right. Anathema gives him another one of those long looks again, as if she's reading his entire identity in a few seconds. Her tongue darts out to lick at her lip, and then she nods decisively. Magnificat Oak 2014 for you. Honey and plums for you, she adds, flicking her fingers at Warlock. He gives her a lopsided grin. That had better be the $8 one. Anathema's smile goes mysterious for a second, and Aziraphale wonders whether Warlock will be coming home with someone else's number today. He glances around as Anathema vanishes into the back, where Aziraphale assumes the kitchens are. 
The other young man is chatting pleasantly with a group of three older gentlemen at the other end of the tasting bar, discussing something about Zinfandel wines and the lay of the land. He sounds quite intelligent, and Aziraphale listens in half-heartedly as he pulls his notebook from his jacket pocket. There's someone skulking about in the back, dressed in black, maybe the chef? And he can hear someone humming something from beyond the tasting rooms. Anathema reappears with two empty glasses, which she sets in front of them. For the gentleman, she starts and reveals a bottle, obviously chilled. Magnificat Oak. You don't often hear old vines as a concept applied to white wines, but we have some of the oldest Chardonnay vines in the region, and we tend them specifically to make the Magnificat. There are two versions. Once the standard Chardonnay, aged in stainless steel for six months before bottle aging. This one's the interesting one. We give it six months in oak before we bottle it and tuck it away. She pours Aziraphale a generous glass. The colour is lovely. Honey gold, a warm, gorgeous yellow with excellent clarity. 2014 was, of course, a great year for short hair. We don't sell the Magnificat any younger than four or five years. It's reserve only. Aziraphale rotates his glass slowly, watching the lees drip. The wine's thick, just a bit of viscosity in its spin. He breathes in deeply. His senses fill with the aroma of honey and peaches, vanilla and something floral he's going to have to identify as he goes. The first sip is surprisingly rich. It's honey, but without the weight to it, sweet and crisp at the same time. Aziraphale thinks of apples plucked fresh from the tree. It's that sort of tartness with very faint notes of sugar lining it behind. Honeysuckle, he thinks, and just a hint of citrus, like a tease of orange zest. Following this, the vanilla butter mouthfeel of the oak barrels spread over top the peaches and honeydew like butter on toast. The flavour lingers in his mouth after he swallows, and he's reminded again of the crisp sound when one first bites through the skin of an apple. That's, somehow, the centre of this wine, a note like the sounding of a bell, high and clear. He only realises he's closed his eyes when he opens them again, and meets the gaze of the man that's been skulking around in the background, or sort of meets it, since the other man is wearing sunglasses indoors. But it's obvious that he's been watching Aziraphale taste the Chardonnay. It's written on his face, an oddly emotional twist to his mouth. 
Aziraphale licks his lips, self-consciously, and the man startles and jerks away, ducking again out the door of the tasting room. He turns to find Anathema watching him as well. She smiles as if she knows exactly what he's thinking. And that's why we call it the Magnificat. Breathtaking, my dear. Aziraphale's voice is thready. He takes another sip. The harmony of the flavors together, the way the wine is sweet and rich and tart all at the same time. It's absolutely lovely. He doesn't even want to know how much a bottle costs. He'll buy the entire case. And for you, Anathema says suddenly, turning to Warlock, who has been idly playing on his mobile phone. Honey and Psalms, one of our more popular and accessible Chardonnays. Nothing new, nothing unusual. We're keeping to canon on this one. You'll like it. Warlock watches as she pours and slides the glass over to him. He takes a sniff and then, bemused, takes a sip. That's good, he says, sounding surprised, and Anathema gives him that mysterious half-smile again. Aziraphale still tasting the cords of the Magnificat. You said there's a version of this. He carefully taps the glass. Aged in stainless. Anathema smiles as if he has unlocked one of the great secrets of the world. I'll get you a taste, she says knowingly and slips back into the hallway behind the tasting room.